When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Express, and I'm talking to whoever's listening out there. Like I told my last wife, I says, honey, I never drive faster than I can see. Besides that, it's all in the reflexes. You just listen to the old Pork Chop Express and take his advice on a dark and stormy night, all right? When some wild-eyed, eight-foot-tall maniac grabs your neck, taps the back of your favorite head up against a barroom wall, and he looks at crooked in the eye, and he asks you if you've paid your dues. Well, you just stare that big sucker right back in the eye, and you remember what old Jack Burton always says at a time like that. Have you paid your dues, Jack? Yes, sir, the check is in the mail. Hello movie viewers and movie lovers, my name is Tim Williams and I'm the creator and host of the 80's Flick Flashback Podcast. We talk about all the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980's. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which flick we choose for each episode, we'll have a lot of fun sharing our memories, discussing our favorite scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. So let's jump right into today's episode. Thanks for listening. John Carpenter described this 80s flick, which he co-wrote and directed, as an action-adventure comedy, kung-fu ghost story monster movie. I can't really add much more of an intro than that. So come aboard the Pork Chop Express as Jerry D. and I discuss Big Trouble in Little China from 1986 on this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Hey, we're going to jump right in. This is a great movie. It was so much fun. We both just watched this afternoon. Please welcome my guest co-host on this episode, Mr. Jerry D. from Totally Rad Christmas. What's going on, Jerry? Hey, Tim. What's happening? Yeah, uh, this was a this is a fantastic movie. Yeah, it has <laughs> nothing to do with Christmas, but we're, we're gonna have fun with it anyway. It's just so good. It doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is one of those movies that um, I'll randomly put on throughout the year just because yeah. it's so much fun. And you're just yeah. like, or when you're flipping channels and you see it, you're you know, like you got to stop and watch it just because. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, Kurt Russell at like peak, you mm-hmm. know, uh, Kurt Russell. I mean, this, 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pete Kurt Russell, he's got that that you know that luscious mane. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, just his hair is just oh, amazing. Um, and and then just I mean these classic like like kung fu fights. Yeah, I mean like the the one where they're f- flying through the air that will. I mean, I'm sure yes. we'll get to it later. Yes, yes. That like was burned into my brain as a kid. Mm-hmm. I I loved it so much. So I love this film. I'm I'm ready to to dive right in. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this one for a while. Like I kept. I, I've I, even in like we're on season three now, but even in season one, I was trying to fit it in at some point. And the season two, I think I had it on the calendar, and then for some reason it had to get bumped. But I was like, I was like, I've got to do it. We're going to do it this this time, and we got it done. So, so let's jump right in. When did you see Big Trouble in Little China for the very first time? So I didn't see it in theaters, um, but I don't remember the very first time. This is one of those that I just, <laughs> yeah. I just remember it was like always on or, or like always there. Mm-hmm. Um, so I know I was little, I want to say maybe, maybe eight or nine when I, when I first saw it, but I can't say for certain. I just remember it always being on and always, <laughs> and me always like sitting down and yeah. watching it. Cause yeah. I mean, the three storms, I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't get better than that. Yeah. Um, but I, I mean, it's just one of those that every time it was on, though, I, w- I would always sit and watch. I was just mm-hmm. so jazzed to see it because there was always something new that I'd see that I didn't notice the time before. Oh, yeah. You oh, know? yeah. And uh, I mean, just everything was fantastic from the choreography to the casting I thought was great. And mm-hmm. even John Carpenter's score, you know, yeah, the, the real synthy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's classic John Carpenter, mm-hmm. um, but just just it fits so perfectly. So I, I don't, I can't remember the first time I saw it. I just remember it always being a part of my life. Yeah. I'm the yeah. same. Like I didn't see it in the theater. I know that, but I'm like you, I was like, did I see this on cable first or did I see it on VHS first? But either way, I watched it so many times, like even watching it again today, I was like, I remember like almost every scene comes like, Ooh, this is the part. Ooh, this part's yep. coming up. Ooh, I can't, gonna, you know, <laughs> like I, a few times I said the line before he did. So I knew I was like, I, I know this movie way too well. <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so when was the last time you watched it? I guess all the way through before rewatching it today. So, okay. Before today, it'd probably been about um, four or five months ago. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So I think I saw it in January. It's when it was January or maybe December. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's not a Christmas movie, but I don't care. It's one of those I'll watch whenever, even during Christmas time. Right. So it might uh, as well be. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, with all the neon at the end there. Yeah. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I, I think it was January when I saw it last. Uh, the whole thing straight through, and I yeah. know. During the last fall, so about a year ago, I know I saw parts of it. I don't know if I saw it all the way through, mm-hmm. but I, I know I saw the majority of it. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's good. It's really yeah. good. <laughs> yeah, it's been a couple of years for me. Uh, it's been within 10 years. I know that because it's been since my daughter was born. But I think it was after a friend of mine, and I, I knew when I was living in Jacksonville, Brinson, um, he's a, another 80s, you know, I, I got to get him on the podcast just, just thinking about it. It's like, because this was back when you could find like, really, well, I guess you still can, but I don't, I don't shop as much as I used to in stores, but that's his own other story. Right. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but he was in Walmart and found like a, 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 a Blu-ray copy of, or this might've been DVD back then. Uh, or no, it's probably Blu-ray of like the last Starfighter. And we got talking about how great the last Starfighter was. Such and a then good like, one. Yeah. yeah. And then like a week later he found big trouble in little China. And I was like, Oh my gosh, that is like, that is my childhood in a movie right there. And so, <laughs> yeah. um, and so then I, I like a few weeks later, a couple months later, 
it was on one of the streaming services like uh, back then Netflix or right. it was probably one of the only ones back then. So it was probably on Netflix or it was on one of the cable providers or whatever. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to stay up. I think my wife had fallen asleep. The baby was asleep. And I watched it at like 1130 at night. I was like, I'm going to watch the first 30 minutes. And then two o'clock in the morning rolls around and I'm like, I want to watch it again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's really, it's really not a long movie. It's only like, no. nine, what, like 99 minutes or something yeah, like it's, that. Yeah, hundred minutes. And it goes by pretty quick, but it's, it goes it's, by quick. Yeah. It's so it's action packed. It's, it's a, it doesn't lull really Mm-mm. at any point, even when they're having those little conversations, you know, uh, James Wong and the, and the other guy at the restaurant are like, giving all this exposition about the the mystery and mythical mm-hmm. magical you yeah. know chinese history or whatever which was totally over my head as a kid and even today i was <laughs> yeah. like i can't really say that i understand exactly what they're talking about but it sounds pretty cool uh so yeah even that stuff is like it's packaged in there enough to like just kind of slow you down a little bit before it ramps right. back up so yeah. uh but yeah definitely definitely a good one so well, let's jump into uh, how this movie was even made with the story origin and pre-production. So uh, all right, you ready to jump right in? Yeah, let's do it. All right. So this is cool. I, I, I didn't know any of this before I did the research uh, today. So I thought this was pretty fascinating. So the first version of the screenplay was written by first time screenwriters Gary Goldman and David Z. Weinstein. Uh, Weinstein. Uh, Goldman had been inspired by a new wave of martial arts films that had all sorts of weird actions and special effects shot against this background of oriental mysticism and modern sensibilities, he said. They had written a Western originally set in the 1880s with Jack Burton as a cowboy who rides into town. Which I got to say, uh, sorry to interrupt you here, but but I got to say, like, I kind of would have liked to see that too. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Kung Fu and cowboys. I mean, count me in. Yeah. (laughs) That's, That's like total childhood right there. Yeah, exactly. So, so Goldman and Weinstein tried to create a weird Western, quote unquote, by combining Chinese fantasy elements within an Old West setting. They submitted the script to Taft Entertainment Pictures executive producers Paul Monash and Keith Barish during the summer of 1982. Monash bought their script and had them do at least one rewrite, but still did not like the results. He remembers it as this. The problems came largely from the fact that it was set in turn of the century San Francisco, which affected everything, style, dialogue, action. So Goldman rejected a request by 20th Century Fox for a rewrite and asked for major alterations. He was angered when the studio wanted to update it to a contemporary setting. The studio then removed the writers from the project altogether. However, they still wanted credit for their contribution. So this is your typical Hollywood story where you've got a a script, original script that has some elements that they like, but they don't like it as a whole. Right. So they're going to bring in other people to try to quote unquote doctor it up and make it, you know, make it something else. So, yeah. Yeah. And that happens all the time. I mean, oh, yeah. uh, die hard, I think is one of the exactly. very famous example of it as yeah. well. Yeah. Um, and I get it. I mean, you know, sometimes there are just things that you're like, that's an amazing idea. I just yeah. wish they had done this and this and this, you know, oh, yeah, yeah. even when you're, when you're, watching just you know just watching movies mm-hmm. you think that sometimes you know so i mean i can totally get why they'd um want to redo that that old west setting probably very expensive to, yeah, you exactly. know, to build all the sets and things yeah. like that so i mean i i, I can understand and I, I think actually it's probably for the better even though i still kind of would have loved to see uh <laughs> jack burton as a cowboy yeah oh yeah definitely <laughs> definitely so yeah and, and you know i think we talked about this even when we talked about lethal weapon shameless plug there for uh when <laughs> your episodes oh yeah we talked about lethal weapon 
you know, Shane Black script had a lot of stuff in it that did not make the final they cut. Didn't so, make it, yeah. So, mm-hmm. you know, every screenplay is what you see on the screen is very rarely what's directly from the original screenplay. There's so many movies that go through constant rewrites. So, well, um, and uh, Gremlins, when we talked about yeah. Gremlins, same, oh, yeah, same yeah. thing. There exactly. was a whole bunch, of, I mean, a very dark version of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And like, and I think you're, you're right. A lot of it comes down to budget. They're looking at dollars and cents. How yeah. much is it going to cost to do this? And yeah, and, and especially this time, Westerns were not as popular. Um, mm-hmm. When we talked about this in my last episode with Young Guns, uh, where like 85, I think Pale Rider and Silverado came out, which were not big box office, yeah. you know, hits. Yeah, so they, they had kind of, yeah. they had kind of tipped their toe into that and it didn't, didn't pan out. So yeah, they probably were not looking to make any kind of Western at that point. So. Yeah, which again makes sense from a studio financial, you know, mm-hmm. kind of perspective. And I think while it, it would have been pretty cool, I, I think it was the right choice. I mean, yeah. they were able to to add a lot more mm-hmm. to it just because of of the modern day setting. Yeah, exactly. So the studio the studio brought in screenwriter W. D. Richter, a veteran script doctor, and also the director of the Adventures of Buckaroo Banzai. And which is, I'm glad you brought that up because uh, that's one of, not only is that one of my favorite movies, right? But my cousin actually plays Reno in it. Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah. Pepe oh. Serna. He's a, a he's related to me. Oh, and wow. He he doesn't really have a lot of. I mean, he's been in over like a hundred films, but he's always like yeah. the you know the the Hispanic uh, gangster, the cholo <laughs> kind of guy. Uh, so like in Scarface, he's the 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 guy that gets uh, chainsawed in the bathtub. Oh, you really? Know? That's him. Yeah. Wow. In Caddyshack too, he's he like he's just a, a cat calling guy. In the Jerk, gotcha. he's a uh, you know in one of the guys the the gangster guys in the car or something like that. So I mean, it's just I. I I like that movie because it's just an awesome movie, but it, it, that's but like also, a bonus in there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that is very cool. Like that's my cousin. Yeah. <laughs> I know him. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So they brought him in to extensively rewrite the script as he felt the wild West and fantasy elements did not work well together. The screenwriter modernized everything. Almost everything in the original script was discarded except for Lopan's story. Wow. So, yeah. So Richter realized that what it needed wasn't a rewrite, but a complete overhaul. He said it was a dreadful screenplay. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> he said this happens often when scripts are brought were bought and there's no intention that the original writers will stay on. So he wrote his own draft in about 10 weeks. Goldman contacted Richter and suggested that he should not work on the project. Richter told him, I'm sorry the studio doesn't want to go forward with you guys, but my turning it down is not going to get you the job. They'll just hire someone else. Yeah. So Barish and Monish first offered the project to Carpenter in July of 1985. He had read the uh, Goldman Weinstein script and deemed it, quote unquote, outrageously unreadable. Oh, it had many interesting elements. (laughs) So so again, it's like one of those things where they love the story. They love some things about it. They just don't like the script because maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess, like you said, it's unreadable. Yeah. (laughs) I think, like I said, there's they see potential in what what it could be. Right. And so that's why they're constantly trying to rewrite it and kind of, you know, sometimes you can have great elements. I mean, there's certain movies that I've I've watched and I'm not going to bring them up, but like I can tell that there was. Well, I will use this as an example. So I'm a big Mission Impossible fan, not an 80s okay. movie, but I love the Mission Impossible movies. Nice. That's just like one of my favorites. Okay. But I, I despise Mission Impossible, too. It's yeah. my least favorite of all. And it's the Same most here. disjointed. But I remember when that movie came out, they talked about. um the director and I, his his name is escaping me, but he had done it, uh, few, John Woo. John Woo, yes, John Woo had he was kind of like the next. They thought he was going to be the next like big Spielberg, whatever. 
but they said him and Tom Cruise basically created like all the stunts, like all the big stunts first, and then tried to create you. a then tried to create a story, a story to connect it. all the stunts together. And I was like, that is the dumbest way to make a movie. <laughs> <laughs> and it proves why that's the least my, that's, my least favorite because that checks out. Yeah, yeah that it's like the out. story. Does, <laughs> there's, I've also heard, you know found out later that there's a much there is a much longer version of the movie that the mm. studio cut so much out. There's character development, and mm-hmm. you know it wasn't just all the action stuff. There was an actual story that was there that got cut because they didn't want they didn't want a two and a half hour two and a half hour Mission Impossible movie, especially in what 1996 or whenever that yeah, came out. Yeah, so, whenever it came out. Which yeah, so, I, I mean that that makes sense. I mean, they famously the that happened as well to Superman four. Yeah, you know, oh yeah, where exactly. uh, you know they I guess they had a nice long version and it was mm-hmm. so good, it tested so well, right? That they're like, well, then we need to cut it down so we can show it you know more often in, in more right. places, right? And then they cut it just too just much, too much, <laughs> and yeah, it was it was painful. Yeah, I remember. Uh, although I, I do yeah. love part four as well. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember. I remember those stories about movies being cut. Because, you know, this was back when movie theaters didn't have the, four, you know, 15 multiplex, 24 right. theaters where you could run, you know, uh, the biggest blockbuster in like six theaters on the same night. Most theaters back then were like one or two, mm-hmm. maybe four. Like maybe four. Like yeah. I remember I, there was one theater I remember going to as a kid that four, maybe six. It might have just been four. And I only remember that because <laughs> this is my funny story. My mom. And her friend went to go see Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome oh, wow. and allowed nice. me and my friend, who was her friend's son, they bought our ticket and we got to see Rambo First Blood Part Two. Ooh, so nice. <laughs> but I remember our movie ended before theirs did. So we had to like, we left our theater and then went and wa- I watched the last you know 20 minutes of Beyond Thunderdome. Like, what is going on in this movie? So. Uh, blaster uh, blaster. Yeah. <laughs> like, I know who Tina Turner is, but I don't know anything else going on. That's so. right. Yeah. But yeah. So, so I remember nice. that being a, you know, a theater that had more than one, but it's still mm-hmm. like I, in my mind, I see like the hallway of that theater where they were like, I would say maybe six at the most, but I think it was just a four theater. Uh, thing. Right. So like, like I said, so they were cutting movies down because you could, you, you know, the more you could play it during the day, you know, or, you know, if you could do it six times instead of just two times and you're going to make more money in their mind. Right. But of course it's not that way now. So mm-hmm. now we Which have, is good. I mean, yeah. can you imagine trying to get a ticket for like some of those huge big blockbusters if there was oh, yeah. still only like one theater, right? Or maybe two screens. Yeah. <laughs> That's yeah. crazy. I think we talked about that too, a couple of episodes ago uh, about, mm-hmm. um, you know, that's why movies stayed in the movie theaters so much longer because yeah. people, couldn't see it opening weekend. I mean, some people had to wait, you know, two or three weeks to see it in the theater because it was every time. I remember that. I remember you know, I back had movie phone. Thank you. Oh for yeah, calling movie, movie phone. Oh, yeah, you yeah. <laughs> and you would call these plate, call to get the show times. Like you know, the seven twenty sold out. The nine o'clock is sold out. Like it would tell you on the phone. Yeah. Whether that you know that was the best way than just looking in the newspaper and then showing up and like, oh man, the movie we want to see is sold out, and then having to watch something else. So um, yeah. 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 Wow. Oh, man. That brings me back. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that was our little trip down nostalgic lane. Okay. There you go. <laughs> and now these messages. What's up, dudes? I'm Jerry D of Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the 80s. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? 
Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gag Me With The Spoon, The Other Half Of The Battle, and Chant With The Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes! Comic books have been around for almost a century, and in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. Fox wanted to deny Goldman and Weinstein their writing credits and eliminated their names from the press releases. They, they wanted only Richter to have credit. In March 1986, the Writers Guild of America, West determined that written by credit would go to Goldman and Weinstein based on the WGA screenwriting credit system, which protects original writers. However, Richter did get an adapt, adaptation by credit for his work on the script. Director John Carpenter was disappointed that Richter did not get a proper screenwriting credit because of the ruling. Carpenter made his own additions to Richter's rewrites, which included strengthening the Gracie Law role and linking her to Chinatown, removing a few action sequences due to budgetary restrictions, and eliminating material deemed offensive to Chinese Americans. So good, good for him on that That's one. That's probably a good thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, I know I said in the intro that he co-wrote it, even though he's not listed as a co-writer in the credits. But right. um, as we'll get into, we'll talk a little bit more too. Yeah, watch the interview with Kurt Russell and John Carpenter. They were talking about while they're making the movie, a lot of the stuff that they, they ended up in the movie, they improvised as they were filming it. So, uh, and we'll, we'll talk more about that a little bit later. We get into scenes, but I thought it was really cool. So, so yeah, so he even did some rewrites on the script as well. So it's all, it seemed to be a very evolving script, even throughout filming. So. Nice. And, and it works, whatever they did, whatever, yeah. uh, magic, uh, they <laughs> had on set that day. I mean, it worked. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. And he was trying to get it done really quick. So I didn't write in the notes, but I'm, I'll, I'll mention it. So they found out that the golden child with Eddie Murphy was being made around the same time. I heard and, that. Yeah. And even though they say they had similar themes, I'm like, yeah, I guess the Chinese mysticism loosely were were alike but they're very different movies they sure. really are yeah so so they um so the studio actually got john carpenter because they knew he could make a make a movie very quickly so he basically had 10 weeks to shoot it because wow. they wanted to have it released in the summer when golden child was supposed to be released guess what at christmas christmas time <laughs> hey i guess that means it's a christmas movie so you should come on and cover it with me <laughs> hey we'll do it we'll do it that one that one i actually just rewatched uh, like a year or two ago so uh, That's so good. <laughs> yeah, he was having to make a, a movie very quickly and had a lot of had a very short time to do it, but he did a great job. So um, even with his <laughs> revisions as he was going, so but I thought this was cool. Carpenter envisioned the film as an inverse of traditional scenarios and action films, with a Caucasian protagonist helped by minority sidekicks. So that was the typical thing: is that 
you know, the, the white guy, quote unquote, is the yeah, hero, the white savior. Got, yeah. Right. And then you've got your, you know, minority as the sidekick. But in Big Trouble in Little China, Jack Burton, despite his bravado, is constantly portrayed as rather bumbling. <laughs> and one fight scene, he knocks himself unconscious before the fight even begins. It's one of my favorite scenes. I do, I do love that scene. Yeah, he just yeah. he shoots up, and yeah, <laughs> all the pieces from the, the from the ceiling uh, fall on his head. You know, uh, and I'm glad he did that because it's something that growing up I never really noticed before. Exactly. Uh, yeah. Even though I've seen it like a million times, mm-hmm. and I know he knocks himself out, and I know he when he's grabbing his knife, he like accidentally oh, yeah, throws yeah. it, and then he has to go get it. You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, like things like that. But it never like clicked until I, I was, you know, looking into it more. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden it's like, wow, that's right. Like yeah. it's, it's very much a green hornet kind of thing, except yes. green hornets, yeah. not quite, uh, <laughs> not quite as, um, what's the word, uh, adept. Yeah. <laughs> he's, not, he's not quite uh, there yet. Right. Um, right. But I do like how he did turn it on his head. And mm-hmm. really, uh, I, I know the studio pressured him to, to, yeah put make a few it. extra scenes and make Jack a little bit more heroic. Yeah, like they exactly. didn't get that he was the sidekick, mm-hmm. but I'm kind of glad they did that too, because uh, it gives Jack a little bit more credence, you know, a little mm-hmm. bit, you can believe him uh, and his bravado a little bit more. Oh yeah, yeah. So even though he's still like a sidekick character and he still is kind of bumbling and things like that, he also does some really cool stuff. And... Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So yeah, exactly what you're just saying. So according to Carpenter, the studio didn't get it. <laughs> Because he Burton is a sidekick, even though he thinks he's the leading man, which I think is the best way to approach that character for sure. Is like he thinks he's the hero, but he's really not. And so, uh, but yeah. So, but like you said, they actually asked him to create the prologue <laughs> scene where Egg Shen and the lawyer talk about Jack Burton to set up him as the hero even before the story begins. So, yeah. And uh, yeah, Carpenter was not happy about adding that to the to the to the movie. So. Yeah, and I can see that. I mean, sometimes studio interference, well, no, oftentimes studio yeah. interference is, is just not good. Occasionally yeah. it works out for the better and you're like, oh, th- thank goodness for that note. But this, I think, um, while I, it works, it still works. Uh, I mean, I kind of would like to see his original version of that just mm-hmm. to, to like compare and contrast. Would it be as powerful? Yeah. Would it make, um, you know, the Asian cast um, stand out more? Yeah. Um, you know, I, I mean, I'm just, I, I'd be very curious to to see his original cut, you know? Yeah. Well, I think that that scene at the beginning, that little prologue is the only like real added scene from what I yeah. understand. Like there's deleted oh, scenes. Oh, I gotcha. Mm-hmm. I didn't watch all of them. Uh, mm-hmm. I'll go back and watch them. But it even said like before the deleted scenes, it said a lot of the scenes that were deleted were not because of content. It was more of uh just kind of shaving for t- more pacing. for timing pacing oh i got you yeah and then mm-hmm. like different a few scenes are just different angles same dialogue just different shots different uh versions of the same scene so nothing really changed but i, I what i read was like if you basically if you start it when kind of the credits start when he when you see jack driving the truck that's carpenter's original vision how this movie starts so the gotcha. whole thing with uh egg and the lawyer in the in the office which always felt out of place to me because I remember going, after seeing it so many times, I'd go back and I'd say, you know, they never go back to that. They don't go back to it at, at all. Yeah. End, so it never really gets resolved. But now knowing that they just wanted him to have these lines about, oh, he, you know, Jack was so great. You don't talk about Jack Burton because he's a hero. He did. He did all this stuff. And like, <laughs> it's like, well, did like he? <laughs> he, he, he helped some other people do that, but it really wasn't all him. So, well, I mean, I guess he does in the end get Lopan spoilers, True. but yeah. 
but mm. uh, yeah, he doesn't really do a whole lot other than that. <laughs> yeah. And Kurt Russell talks about that in, in the interview. He was saying that, you know, they, they did want to leave some, they did, they wanted to give him some hero moments, but mm-hmm. he, you know, he was like, but really he said 80% of the time I'm, you know, completely out of the loop of what's going on. And, <laughs> yeah. and, and going back to that scene where he shoots the, uh, the gun and mm-hmm. it knocks him out. He said that they, that was an idea that him and Carpenter came up with on the spot because they were like, they had all this action going on with the, the, the guys fighting. I'm like, yeah. what's Jack going to do? And it's like, well, we can't add any more choreography. You know, we don't want you to have you see your fights. Like, well, he was like, what if I just get knocked out by, by something? It's like, oh, well, you do shoot the gun up. Let's do it. So they kind of constructed that scene. <laughs> and he said, it was all really to say, oh, that's great. You'd be unconscious for five minutes. Give us more time for the martial arts that people <laughs> really right. want to see. And then when you come up, you just, you think you're still in the battle or whatever. So then they came up with the idea of the knife with the, with the uh, soldier that he falls on. He can't get up. He said, all that was to just keep Burton Hit him out of the way, you know, yeah. out of the way. So all the other, you know, really cool fighting scenes can be done, which I was like, that is so smart. That is it really, really is. smart. <laughs> it's super, super smart. I mean, what a great way to, because not only does it build to Jack's character, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, like it adds to his development of him, you know, oh, yeah. his characterization of him being like the, you know, the, the not quite, uh, mm-hmm. or, or I should say the, uh, the out of his depth kind of character. Yeah. But you know, it also, is a practical solution. So, mm-hmm. I mean, you got to love John Carpenter because he, I mean, he's really able to, to get in that guerrilla style filmmaking yeah. and really oh, yeah, make yeah. it work. You know, it's just very adaptable. And, and I mean, you see that in especially Halloween oh, and yeah. things like oh, that, yeah. but, um, but th- that was a great solution for sure. Mm-hmm. Cause I mean, I didn't even notice as a kid, you know, no, yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, Oh wow. He's just having trouble with this guy. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but that was my favorite. One of my favorite scenes as a kid was like, Oh man, that was, you know, it's like, that would totally happen to me. You know, it's like, if I was yeah, fighting somebody, <laughs> some big guy's going to follow me and I can't get up. So that's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So last little bit for the pre-production. So this was the last studio film that Carpenter worked on at the end of the eighties due to various problems he experienced during the production of the film with then-studio head Lawrence Gordon, who constantly interfered with the film up until its release date. His wow. two follow-ups, Prince of Darkness in 1987 and They Live in 1988, were made independently with a live films without any studio interference and distributed by Universal Pictures. So, Oh, wow. Yeah, They Live is still a good favorite That's, of mine. I've, I've seen yeah. that one recently. I don't really know Prince of Darkness very well, and it's going to come up again a little bit later when we get into casting, but... Yeah, uh, I, I haven't seen. I don't uh, really know Prince of Darkness either. They Live yeah. is. It's been decades since I've seen. That oh one. yeah, yeah. It's, it's it been quite a long time. It doesn't hold up as well as I'd like it to. Like the uh, memory gotcha. of it is better. Uh, we'll 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 hit that one eventually. I've already my uh, Laramie, who's another guest co-host. He just bought the DVD or the Blu-ray a couple months ago, and he sent me. He texted me the picture. He's like, "Whenever you want to record it, I'm in." <laughs> 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 like, okay, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. So. Yeah, yeah. The thing. Uh, yeah, and that's one I haven't seen. Like me and actually Larry and I have talked about that one a lot. So uh, I'm gonna watch that one. I think this week because I good. found it. It's on. It's on one of the my uh, streaming packages right now. So I'm like, oh, I can see it at least for the next. I'm on like a little trial, thirty day trial. Oh yeah, yeah. I so got once, you. once that ends, it's like, oh, let me watch it while it's available. So it's good. It's classic. Yeah, yeah that's what they, they've said. So I, that's what I've never seen. I've heard about it, but I've never watched. So I'm looking forward to seeing that one. So. Uh, but I, yeah, so well, so are you a are you a John Carpenter fan? Are you? I know you- I I am ever since Halloween, uh, mm-hmm. and I think that's actually my favorite thing he's done uh, mm-hmm. aside from this. It's it's really close between Halloween and this one. Um, 
I, I love his style. I love his scores. They're, they're mm-hmm. really not complex. They're super simple. Um, but occasionally he does have like one or two complex elements in it. Yeah. So, you know, most of the time, I mean, you think about Halloween, it's really, you know, a lot of it is just, you know, bump, bump, <laughs> you know, that mm-hmm. kind of thing as Michael's walking, you know, oh, yeah, uh, aside yeah. from the main theme, you know, or it's just like a lot of synth pads, yeah. you know, where, oh, where yeah, they're yeah. just like holding the, you know, the chord or whatever the note for like a while. Uh, and so it's like that plus uh the lighting like like the way his dp usually lights and then mm-hmm. just just everything i i like his style a lot so yeah I'm, I'm definitely down for john carpenter anytime yeah watching it today the one scene that to me is the most carpenter like when i, I was when i saw these two shots i was like oh that is such i was like that tells me it's a john carpenter film and it's the scene where the three uh the three guys kidnap uh the main girl the oh, uh, gracie gracie or no, not gracie yeah. uh, million million yeah yeah uh mm-hmm. and you see them driving the corvette and it's like the close-up shot and it's the music too and then it cuts the shot of her in the back seat and just how she's laying there and it's like just that i don't know why that how it's shot is like that is so john carpenter right there just those two quick <laughs> quick scenes yeah. they're like tight shots and how yeah. the, the camera's angled i'm like that is so John Carpenter. <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, yeah, I've, I've become a fan of his. I didn't see Halloween until recently. And that's another story for another time. Gotcha. Um, but I remember this is the one I probably remember the most. I saw They Live as a like a preteen when it came out on video. And I liked that one for a long time. I just recently in the last couple of years watched Escape from New York, which I thought was pretty cool. I mean, like, oh, that's a good that one. Yeah. So. Don't- uh, you're not missing much if you uh, skip Escape from L.A. though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think I started that when I was like, yeah, I'm not. I can't it's, do this one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's not great. It's not great at all. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, especially when you when you realize that it came out the same year as like Jurassic Park, and then you look at some of the effects, yeah. and you're just like, okay, yeah, yeah forget it. <laughs> yeah, and and, but, and I and I didn't I forgot that he made Starman with Jeff Bridges, uh, right before oh, wow. this as well. Which I, I, I realized he did that. Yeah. And I didn't, that's one that I I remember coming on. I remember seeing the commercials for that coming on cable when I was little, but I never mm-hmm. watched it. And I can't, or maybe I did, I seen, I saw it one time and I just didn't get it, get it as much as everybody else did. Yeah. yeah. So uh, that's when I, I say, I keep saying I'm going to go back and watch because I remember people talking about how great that movie was when I was younger. So I remember my parents really liking it. And mm-hmm. I remember being disappointed because when I heard the name Starman, I thought it was going to be like a cool superhero thing. Yeah, you yeah. Know? <laughs> and it was, it wasn't. Yeah. I think it's probably <laughs> the same thing. Like after ET and I was expecting that kind of like adventure kind of a story and it really wasn't. Yeah. And yeah. so it was much more of a drama, which is probably why we as kids were like, nah, I'll see. No, thanks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Where's the action. Yeah. <laughs> give me kung fu fights uh with swords while they're flying through the air <laughs> exactly exactly all right well let's talk about casting so all right to compete with rival production the golden child's casting a box office draw eddie murphy carpenter wanted a big star of his own and both clint eastwood and jack nicholson were considered what were busy i think that's those are two and I, I can't really see jack nicholson in this uh clint eastwood maybe even you know back then mid 80s mm-hmm. possibly uh- I think uh, that would have been better if it had been a Western. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> if, they yeah. Had, if they had kept yeah. their original style, but either of those, I don't think would have done the would have played the part no. um, the way that he wanted it. You know, where yeah. where he's more of a sidekick. You know, Jack. Yeah, and uh, I think uh, yeah, yeah. I think that goes back to what the initial script was. They might have fit that better, but yeah. bringing Russell in 
gives it a different feel and aesthetic, especially mm-hmm. more for the humor side. Because Clint Eastwood is not going to be funny. Jack Nicholson <laughs> can be funny, but yeah, that it wouldn't have been a it would not have been a, a comedy if Eastwood was in it for sure. So. Yeah, I think it would just would have been too serious. And mm-hmm. you know, like how do you? I mean, how do you make the the sidekick? You know, or how do you make Clint Eastwood a sidekick? I guess. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that, that would have been tough. Yeah. The only comedies I remember Eastwood being in was like the Any Which Way You Can movie with the orangutan. But he was just, he was a straight man. The orangutan did all the funny stuff. So. That's right. Yeah. 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 Well, he was in uh, Pink Cadillac, which had some funny moments, yeah. but, but it wasn't was, really a comedy. But once for... again, he was still the straight man. But he was also the straight man. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. I mean, he's Clint Eastwood, you know? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so you know what you're not... going to get. That's exactly right. I mean, I know that John Carpenter wanted Kurt Russell. Yeah. Uh, like yeah. he really wanted it. And I think he, Kurt Russell was even like, you know, Hey, my last couple of movies have been flops. Are you sure? And he was just like, mm-hmm. I don't care. I want to make a movie with you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think they, uh, Kurt Russell said they had done, I, I didn't realize John Carpenter directed the Elvis biopic that Russell was in. It was a TV movie uh, yeah. in the early eighties. And then they did the thing. Then they did escape mm-hmm. from New York. And he said, you know, York, yeah. those were not big blockbuster movies. So, uh, right. He wasn't sure how that was going to, that was going to pan out. So, um, but yeah, he also, Jeff Bridges, as we mentioned, was also considered to play Jack Burton since he just worked with him on Starman in 84, hmm. which I also didn't know that uh, Bridges was considered for Kurt Russell's roles in Escape from New York and the thing. So I guess they were kind of somewhat similar back then, which yeah. I can kind of see that they had similar personalities, I guess mm-hmm. that kind of, you know, good looking, but still can be funny, but can be mm-hmm. serious. Had that that's that a little quirky. Yeah, exactly. And both. I think still, uh, I think Jeff Bridges is just a bit more chill, especially yeah. now in his later years. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I say they both they've both done very well to have long careers and yeah, they have a very and playing multiple kinds of roles. Don't I? I, I was going to say something about Jeff Bridges, but I'll save it. So. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, the studio felt Kurt Russell was an up and coming star. Russell was initially not interested because he felt there were a number of different ways to approach Jack, but he didn't know if there was a way that would be interesting enough for the movie. After talking to Carpenter and reading the script a few more times, he gained insight into the character and liked the notion of playing, quote, a hero who has many faults. He said that Jack is and isn't the hero. This guy's a real blowhard. He's a lot of hot air, very self-assured, but a screw up. That's uh, Kurt Russell's quote. So furthermore, the actor felt that at heart, he thinks he's Indiana Jones, but the circumstances are always too much for him. Kurt <laughs> Russell, uh, yeah. So I, which I thought was a good a good analogy because uh, Carpenter also said that the studio wanted Indiana Jones, like that was the type of movie they really wanted to be made. And I could see that coming off of Temple of Doom, which had that more mysticism uh, kind of a, a feel to it. I could see them trying to duplicate that in a yeah. you know with a different a different character, but. Uh, I like that. I like the idea of he thinks he's he thinks he's Indiana Jones, but he's really not. You know, so <laughs> which is funny because Indiana Jones also gets lucky a lot. If a you lot. think about yeah. it, it's, you know, he there's a lot of it that just kind of happens to fall in place. So. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So, I mean, I get it. It's it's very similar. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I realized I didn't realize this today. Kurt Russell turned down the lead role of Connor McLeod in Highlander to appear in this film. Both I saw that made and released by 20th Century Fox. Yeah, so 
That would have been a different take. That would have been a totally different take. (laughs) I can't, that's when I just can't picture at all. Right. Uh, And I love, uh, I mean, Lambert is just like so iconic in the role. Exactly. It's just, it's hard for me to picture Kurt Russell. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Very different film for sure. So. So yeah, so Russell finished out the '80s in the movie uh, in the movies with Overboard in 1987 with Goldie Hawn, Tequila Classic. Sunrise yep. in '88 with Mel Gibson and Michelle Pfeiffer, and of course Tango and Cash with Sly Stallone in 1989. But he really hit his stride in the '90s with big hits like Backdraft, Stargate, and of course the greatest western of all time, Tombstone. Tombstone, yeah. <laughs> so do you Stargate. Have a- Stargate's actually very underrated yes i i, I yeah. saw it the other day and i was like you know what this is actually a pretty mm-hmm. good movie that yeah that was one that i remember seeing like i didn't i didn't have a lot of high expectations going into it but mm-hmm. i loved it i thought it was so cool and such an interesting concept and was completely blown away by it i have that's when i have not watched in a long time i would love to watch that one again i think when it became a tv show i kind of it lost some of its luster to me yeah so. same here I and I never watched the show. Yeah, but... I didn't either. I, I think I watched like the first episode or two and I was like, eh, it's too, too corny for me. So same, I, yeah, I like the movie here. better. So, so you got a, uh, you have a favorite Kurt Russell movie? Oof. I think it depends on the genre because uh, I have a very, very soft spot um, for Overboard. Yep. Uh, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well i won't say why on the air but <laughs> okay. i do have a soft spot for that one um but uh, there's just so many good ones this i mean it's hard to choose because you know this one's great but mm-hmm. the thing is like so good but i mean there's just i think if i had to pick overall like in general it'd probably be this one okay honestly yeah, yeah. this is by far my favorite of his in the 80s i think overall favorite tombstone's gonna win like you said, the two totally different characters. And Kurt Russell is one of those actors, too, that when I kind of dig through his filmography, I forget how many things he was in. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's because he doesn't – I think he's he's played some characters similar, but there's some who's like you forget that's Kurt Russell. Like, yeah. I rewatched Captain Ron, which you know, oh, yeah. cut, you know <laughs> Kurt Russell – I, I forgot that was him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I watched that a couple like a year or so ago, just because it's like I remember seeing that and like just laughing hysterically. And it's still <laughs> funny, but he is hilarious in that. Like that's probably one of his. That's probably my favorite of his comedic roles because yeah. he's totally different than what you'd expect. And I think when I was doing my research, he said that, or somebody had said that, uh, Kurt Russell has said that his favorite role he's ever played was Captain Ron, but Jack Burton <laughs> was a very close second. So I was yeah. like, oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> Captain Rod. I forgot about that one. It's yeah. definitely been since I think I saw it when it came out mm-hmm. and I loved it. And then I never, I just didn't yeah. see it again. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a very forgetful, a forgettable movie. Cause it's, it's like cotton candy. It's like, it's good. It's in, you enjoy it when you have it. And then you forget that you had it, you know, five minutes later. Cause it, yeah. it doesn't sustain you at all. It's just, <laughs> it, just tastes good. Yeah. it just tastes good. And that's what Captain Ron is. It's just one of those movies like, it was a summer movie, I think. I went with a bunch of friends to see it at the theater. We laughed, had a good time. By the time it came out on video, I was like, you know what? If I don't see it again, I'll be okay. But I really enjoyed it the first time. <laughs> All right, so moving right along. Uh, John Carpenter had seen Dennis Dunn in Year of the Dragon and liked his work in that film. He met the actor twice before casting him in the role of Wang Chi, only a few days before principal photography. The martial arts sequencers were not hard for Dunn, who had dabbled in training as a kid, and done Chinese opera as an adult. He was drawn to the portrayal of Asian characters in the movie, as he said, 
I'm seeing Chinese actors getting to do stuff that American movies usually don't let them do. I've never seen this mm-hmm. type of role for an Asian as an American in an American film, which I thought was very true. Uh, and, and he was great in it. So uh, my fun fact for this was Jackie Chan was John Carpenter's first choice to play Wang, but producer Lawrence Gordon was highly against it, fearing Chan's English wasn't good enough after seeing his performances in Battle Creek Brawl and The Protector, but Carpenter wanted Chan after the success of Police Story that came out in 1985. But mm-hmm. Jackie Chan eventually declined and Dennis Dunn was cast instead. So, I mean, I, I get it. Yeah. Uh, Dennis Dunn's English, his pronunciation of English is so much better. Yeah. Than, oh, yeah. Jackie yeah. Chan's. It really is. Mm-hmm. And, and Jackie Chan's improved over the years. I mean, oh, just yeah, yeah. Going from, you know, um, you know, from his early stuff all the way mm-hmm. until like his last stuff, you can really hear how mm-hmm. uh, the progression of, of his accent and, and how it's gotten better. Right. So I get it. But I mean, in the end, he didn't want to do it anyway. He passed. Yeah. So well, he said, sense. yeah, I read something else where he, he wanted to focus. He wasn't ready to kind of jump into American movies just yet. He wanted to kind of still beef up his presence in Hong Kong. So, mm-hmm. which, uh, which makes sense. So uh, fun fact, he's in Cannonball Run 2. That was his first American role, if you've ever nice. seen Cannonball Roll 2. I don't even remember part two. I don't oh, know really? if I've yeah. seen it. I think I have, but it's I don't remember anything about it. The so. first one is better. I watched both of them like a year ago. Nice. That, and, that, and that's a movie like every couple of years I go back to watch because that's totally a kid, you know, a kid movie yep. that I remember as a, as a kid. So, <laughs> but, uh, but Dennis Dunn, didn't uh, his movie career didn't really go much further than this he was also in the last emperor, last emperor yeah. and he was also in prince of darkness with john carpenter the following year after that he did some tv work for the 90s until the 2000s but just kind of hit you know here and there but i thought it was really good in this i was kind of surprised that too. he didn't do more i thought he was he was very he was very good in this role my favorite scene uh or a non-action scene in that is when they're they're having the bet you know mm-hmm. he's like nothing or double <laughs> and I remember as a kid, I thought that was the funniest line because I'd always heard double or nothing, you know? Right, right. So I was like, he's saying it backwards. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. I just thought that was like the funniest thing in the world. <laughs> yeah, that is Nothing good. or double. <laughs> it's so good. I mean, he, I, I thought he played the um, kind of like, not love sick, love struck puppy, I should say, yeah. you know? Oh, you yeah, know? yeah. Um, you know, he's like, I built this life for her. I've been mm-hmm. saving and everything to bring her over. I thought he played that like super well. I mean, oh, it was yeah. just, it, it was right on point. And then he just, he looked legit doing all the moves. Like, yeah, exactly. You could tell that all that work, you know, that, that little bit of training he had and then the mm-hmm. Chinese opera that he had, I mean, really, really was to his benefit because mm-hmm. he just looked so smooth doing everything. And uh, I mean, he kicked some tail. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was, I was shocked to find out that he had no like previous training. Like he was learning everything on the fly during filming, but he makes it look so effortless. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of my favorite scenes when he does, especially as a kid, when he does the run up the circle. Uh, the oh wall, like, yeah. It's like total 360. Uh, I thought I still love that scene. I was like, how did he do that? But you know. <laughs> <laughs> momentum. Exactly. Yeah. Run fast enough. So. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so moving on. So the studio pressured Carpenter to cast a rock star in the role of Gracie Law, Jack Burton's love interest. But Carpenter wanted Kim Cattrall from the beginning. I know at the time, I think she'd only done what, like Porky's and um, yeah, Police Academy. Police Academy. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, like, I think that's really all she was really known for. So mm-hmm. it was kind of, you know, not like high class, high quality stuff yeah. there. Yeah. Although I love both those movies. But, you know, <laughs> it, you know, it's not like they're Oscar winners. Yeah, um, but exactly. I thought. 
I thought she was very good in this role. Mm-hmm. She was competent. Um, she kind of had that eager, you know, eager beaver. I'm a go getter kind of mm-hmm. vibe to her. To her her arc with like you know with Jack, you mm-hmm. know their their whole trajectory. I thought was again was very well done. It plays out very well. But you know she's just an independent woman that's got her finger on the vein of Chinatown <laughs> and everything that's going right, on and right. And you know she's like I'm here to save this this girl. And I mean I I thought Kim Cattrall did a great job with her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. And I didn't realize that she was actually more of a theater actress. Like she was actually splitting time with this. She would leave the set every day at like four 30 because she was doing a production, you know, a theater production that evening. So she was kind of doing, you know, oh, wow. double duty. So, nice. uh, but it's so funny because there was a little featurette I was watching of her not in character. And I was like, she's, she's very prim and very proper and speaks a certain way. So like, she's very <laughs> much a theater, like a, you know, quote unquote theater person. Yeah, uh, as, as at least you know, not to stereotype anybody, but that that I would recognize her as. But but yeah, the the studio was not too keen about her, like you said, from being in Porky's Police Academy, more raunchy comedies. They weren't yeah. sure if she was going to be the kind of draw that they wanted. But uh, she was. She loved the character. She said she and she liked that Gracie was not screaming for help the whole time. <laughs> yeah, which <laughs> said, I mean, again, yeah. this movie, I think in the eighties, it's actually kind of really progressive. If mm-hmm. you think about it, you know, it's yeah. really ahead of its time. Like, like if you were to show it now, I think in a lot of ways it would still hold up as mm-hmm. far as, you know, PC culture and I yeah, don't yeah, really yeah. get all that, you know, into right. all that. But I mean, I think it, it would be, it would hold up very well. You mm-hmm. know? Yeah. She said she saw her, she saw Gracie as the brains to Jack's brawn. That, Definitely. You know, <laughs> <laughs> which I thought is, which once again is a good dynamic. And you got to credit, carpenter for that because he beefed up her role and i'm sure in the initial she probably was that damsel in distress quote unquote you know archetype that we see used so much so Mm -hmm. i did like that she had a presence and she had she had her own character and was uh you know independent and didn't need jack yeah she was uh, very capable very capable so uh but yeah of course she had her breakout role the following year in mannequin with andrew mccarthy Mm-hmm. After that, she tackled more serious roles in movies like Masquerade and Midnight Crossing in 1988, but failed to have a real box office hit. She worked steadily in film and TV until she was cast in the HBO series Sex and the City in 1998, mm-hmm. which is what she's probably most known for now. But she'll always be Mannequin. Mannequin was the first thing I think I saw her in. I probably saw this after uh, Mannequin to come out. So, uh, but yeah, she'll always be the Mannequin for me. <laughs> I wasn't yeah, a, same I, here. Was, I wasn't a watcher of Sex in the City, so I know nothing about her character in that. So yeah, I uh, I saw a little bit, and I was like, man, it's not really for me. <laughs> but I mean, I, the crazy thing is, most people know her from that, right? Exactly, and that yeah, yeah that 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 was that blew up her career for for real because you know, uh, mannequin is even though we loved as a kid is not stood the test of time and the annals <laughs> of film. No, no, <laughs> I'd, I'd still love it, but yeah, it oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. it's one of those movies I'll put on to like fall asleep to now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. That one in short circuit. In know, short circuit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No disassemble. <laughs> and now these messages. <sighs> what seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world, so many issues, I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR! But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh. 
That's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. All right, so fin- uh, wrap this up. Got two more. There, and I, I'm not going to cover everybody, but I do want right. to mention these two. So James Hong as David oh, Lopan. Classic. Hong has over 400 acting credits across <laughs> oh, film and TV, <laughs> which is outrageous. But but he's but he is a face that I, I was I was like, but I've seen him in so many different things, you know, big mm-hmm. and small. So he had some of his memorable roles were in The Golden Child with the same year, which is amazing because that was the film they were trying to beat out. He was in. <laughs> uh, he was also in Tango and Cash with Kurt Russell. I remember him an episode of Seinfeld in 1991. And of course, he was the voice of Mr. Ping in the Kung Fu Panda Kung Fu movies. Panda, yeah. I, I heard uh, John Carpenter was saying that James Hong is hilarious, that he was actually a stand up comic in like the 30s and 40s in Hong Kong. Was he really? So, yes, yeah, so I was like, that That's is awesome, fascinating. I love that. That's my that might be my favorite little trivia bit that I got out of this one. I thought that was that was phenomenal. So. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, I didn't know that. Well, I know he plays a. Uh... Tia Carrera, uh, Cassandra's dad in Wayne's World too. Yes, that's right. I and they have like their yet. their little you know kung fu bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, let's uh, you know, let's let's do this in subtitles or, or something. Oh, yeah, or let's yeah, do yeah, this yeah. dubbed instead of subtitles. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's a deep cut. Wayne's World too. Oh gosh, I haven't seen that in a long time. So, all right. So Victor Wong, one of my favorite, as Egg Shin. Victor oh, yeah. was also in The Golden Child and Prince of Darkness with James Hong. He is also remembered <laughs> for his role in Tremors, one of my favorites from 1990. I just watched that a couple months ago. Tremors is good. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the Joy Luck Cub in 1993. And he was in the Three Ninjas trilogy in the 90s as Grandpa. So. Oh, uh, yeah, he was, wasn't he? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'd, wow. No, I forgot about that one. That's, yeah. that's one that I'd completely forgotten about. Oh, yeah. <laughs> So, uh, so that that's it for casting. There was other people that I didn't cover because they didn't really have much that they had done since then. So, but I think that yeah. covers the majority of it. So, I think that's the main guys. Yeah. Yep. So, are you ready to jump into uh, favorite scenes, iconic scenes? Yeah. All right. So, what for you when you close your eyes and think of Big Trouble in Little China? What's the first scene that pops in your head? I, well, I've said it a few times. The very first scene is um, <laughs> that in battle, and it's mm-hmm. uh, it's it's Wang Chi versus Rain. And they're, they have the swords, you know, and they're like jumping through the air and they're like, like, you know, do yeah. a couple of slashes here mm-hmm. and there. And then like, that's the one that like st- sticks out first and foremost in my mind. That's like yeah. the best, like, whoa. Cause I mm-hmm. remember as a kid, like just, it blew my mind. Like mm-hmm. how, first of all, how are they jumping like that? Yeah. <laughs> Secondly, you know, how are they able to actually like fight? Mm-hmm. You know, and then third, how did he like win that? You know, and yeah. if you think about it, he just kind of throws his sword up, you know, mm-hmm. uh, which, always made me laugh because he like turns around and like throws it backwards yeah uh but it looks so cool it was uh, yeah. i mean it blew my mind and yeah. so he, as soon as if i close my eyes and or someone says big trouble little china that's the mm-hmm. very first thing that pops out yeah that it, yeah that scene that's cool like i love how the beginning they're like jumping and crossing and like they get one swing at each other and like each time they're jumping it's like there's just one you know connection of the of the swords of oh, the blades you know, yeah the blades 
And then like the, the almost the last one, it's like they're in the air fighting for like five minutes. Like, okay, how did it jump from, <laughs> you know, being able to do one? And then, like you said, the, when he throws the knife and, and gets him, it's just crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> it's so good. I mean, the three storms in general, anything yeah. with the three storms is like yes. fantastic, yeah. you yeah. know? Uh, and, and I know Thunder, Raiden is kind of based off of that, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thunder, lightning and rain. Um, but I mean, it's just, it was, it was so cool. Like that they could do that, you know, because mm-hmm. at, at the same time, you're like, wow, how are they doing that? Is that something I could learn? <laughs> yeah. <You> know, <laughs> of course not probably not in the cards for me mm-hmm. but at the time i thought i want to ride lightning like that i mean that's just oh yeah, yeah, yeah. that's like so cool i, I want that you know <laughs> so uh, i mean anything with the three storms i think just pops out for sure yeah their first introduction is so fantastic like i remember that like because and john carver talks about when he you know to structure the movie he wanted to start in reality and then slowly engulf you into the fantasy mysticism world and so, like, when they first appear, it's like, that's kind of when it first starts. Because, you know, the kidnapping of Mylene is still kind of a typical, you know, action kind of trope. You know, yeah. girl gets kidnapped. You know, thugs, that's still very much in reality. But then they get in that alley and all of a sudden you see green above the building. And then these guys just jump out. And then, mm-hmm. you know, they're showing their powers like, oh, it's going to be that kind of movie, <laughs> you know. So... <laughs> Uh, and one of my favorite scenes with them is when they pull out their blades and then they go to oh, throw the kukri daggers, but, yeah. they, but then they do the flip all together and then throw and it. then throw them. I yeah, was, yeah. <laughs> it's so as a cool. kid, I was like, oh my gosh, how are they doing that? You know, it's just, yeah. it was, it's just this is, and I'll say this is like that watching it today. I was like, this is that Saturday afternoon with your friends. It's mm-hmm. too hot to be outside. Let's go in and, you know, sit down with a, you know, some microwave popcorn and a Pepsi or a Coke or Kool-Aid yep. or whatever you have, whatever your mom's in your drink, Sunday Delight, whatever. And let's just watch, you know, a good old fashioned action comedy movie, whatever. Yep. And it's just, it, that's, that's where it fits in my brain of when to watch that kind of movie. And so it, but especially for that age, I think that we were when we saw it for the first time. Mm-hmm. It hit all those things that we just thought were the coolest. Were the, the coolest, kung, yeah. The kung fu, the ninja stuff, the battles, the guns, the the you know Jack Burton this you know swarminess, all that kind of stuff. You know, <laughs> yeah, he's kind of the he's kind of the Han Solo rogue, except yeah, you know a exactly. little more bumbling. But <laughs> yeah. So yeah, so so yeah. For me, the it's hard for me to think of the most iconic scene. I think the scene that I think about, which is weird, is the very last scene. It's I because I, I guess because it kind of it scared me as a kid, so it's probably it's, oh, it's, it's scarred me. I, yeah, I when he's, he's you know uh, he's doing his little speech on the on, on the, the radio CD. and it's raining, and then you, it, it pans to the back of the truck, and then the monster pops out of the truck, and then it cuts to black. So, uh, which freaked me out, but I was like, there's gonna be a sequel, which we didn't get. But which we oh, can you imagine? <laughs> I would have loved. I would still love. I mean, oh yeah, even put Kurt Russell in it now. Oh yeah, oh, <laughs> I'd yeah. still love to see a sequel. But that's a great speech, too. And he's like, you know, just remember what old Jack Burton does when the mm-hmm. earth quakes and the poison arrows fall from the sky and the pillars of heaven shake. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, just like that imagery that he uses there. I mean, yeah. it's just it's it's so cool. But I, I mean, that which reminds me of another great line uh, that I loved when he's talking about, uh, you know, you know, uh, have you paid your dues, Jack? And the checks in the mail. mail. You know? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. It's yeah, it's. That one uh, got me, and the um, 
the other one that I really liked, of course, was uh, or that I think of as iconic is when uh, Thunder like blows himself up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Because I remember as a kid, you know, thinking it was so gross and cool, but it kind of mm-hmm. reminded me of like garbage pail kids a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but also, I mean, it just, you know, it's like, oh, wow. Like mm-hmm. this guy can, uh, I mean, just everything he could do was, was pretty cool. So, uh, I mean, that one always stood, stood out to me as well. Just, you know, thunder blowing himself mm-hmm. up. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely one of the scenes. That I, I think about that one. And I, that was one of the scenes like, ooh, this is the part that's coming up. He's going to get really big. Yeah. I remember as a kid, like, oh, my gosh. You know, it could, takes you back to the Willy Wonka with the when the girl turns in is a plum. I think Violet turns, yeah. Violet turns in the plum. But yeah, but uh, the special effects stuff, like the monsters or creations were all really good. Like the the little eye you know oh yeah that thing yeah. thing was kind of was was gross but cool and then of course uh-huh. the big monster that 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 uh pulls her down into the pit so all the monster stuff was really cool but yeah those those were all pretty like, iconic there's fun scenes but the iconic for me like when i think about big trouble little china it's that monster and then the the red eyes coming through the uh oh yeah the, the, the statue uh, the statue or, or, which yeah. uh which always always freaked me out but it's still cool so <laughs> I think he's officially called the Chinese wild man, oh, which really? I thought, which I thought was a funny name. Um, yeah. And I know he was actually played by um, a former soldier who had uh, like uh, stepped on like an art, an old artillery shell and like got like both his legs and one of his arms blown up. Really? Oh, yeah. And he, he was like, no, I'm not, I'm not, you know, going to stand here and feel sorry for myself. Mm-hmm. And so he went out and worked and he actually has like four or five movie credits, uh, which I think was just super cool. Mm hmm yeah but but yeah that guy that that creature definitely uh (laughs) definitely stands out yeah Uh, the other iconic scene for me is uh when we first meet lopan in the in the alley oh yeah uh, his eyes light up when the stuff comes out of his mouth i remember just like oh my gosh you know that was that that i i see that as well that's one of the that's a very you know etched in my memory uh scene as well so but what about favorite scene so what's what's your yeah i'm I'm sure the, the last battle we know is like iconic yeah so any yeah. other favorite scenes besides that one well of course when when jack kills lopan is always cool but yeah no, i know yeah. i really i like reflexes. <laughs> <laughs> i i think one of my favorite scenes is um thunder is like like kind of messing with them and jack kind of falls back into that uh that wheelchair yes and he's like he starts like sliding down the mm-hmm. ramp you know and he manages to kind of stop himself before he yeah. falls into like the oh, wheel yeah. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's so funny. The look on mm-hmm. his face, Kurt Russell does, I mean, it's yes, just, he captures yes. that. It's so great. So I think that's one of my favorites. Um, that one and the, um, when, when they're in the alley and they're, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the you know, Lopan and his eyes and everything, mm-hmm. but then they, they like managed to escape and, and he, they use like just a puddle, like some puddle of water yeah. to like splash his face. <laughs> and I remember at, even as a kid thinking like, Oh, that's, that's pretty dirty. Like, yeah. <laughs> like don't put that in your eyes, man. <laughs> that's not helping. That's not helping. <laughs> yeah. No, there's, I mean, there's like so many great ones that, I mean, it's hard to like pick just a favorite because mm-hmm. they're all so good. Yeah. Um, so yeah. of course the, the nothing or double scene is, is fantastic. Mm-hmm. I, I love that one. And uh, I, I mean, it just, Oh, I know. Okay. When they're, when uh, they're in the elevator and it's, it's Jack and, and Gracie mm-hmm. and, you know, they're just, you know, they're kind of, 
or he just kind of saved her from from the marriage right he's just you know they're talking and he's like oh what are you wearing and <laughs> it's like well I, I was getting married it's my wedding mm-hmm. you know right right and uh like he just can't control himself around her and mm-hmm. I, I always just thought that was kind of cute and very playful and, and like yeah. you can tell like he's he's into her but also you know i mean it's just it's she i think she even says something like uh like oh i can't believe i'm doing this or something like mm-hmm. that i mean it's just i i always thought their interplay at that point was was just really really nice yeah oh yeah yeah, yeah. so uh so interesting note about that scene that, that's the scene with the lipstick when he comes back out with the lipstick he comes out with the yeah. lipstick yeah <laughs> so that was another improv imp- improvised scene that kurt russell and uh carpenter came up together uh and russell was telling the story he said yeah he said we just done the scene where she kisses and carpenter sent like okay makeup come fix you know take the stuff off his lips and he says they were taking it off he was like wait if we just kissed and i come to this elevator there's still gonna be lipstick on my face yeah and he was telling carpenter he's like and he's like but i can play it where i don't know what's on my face and it'll be even funnier <laughs> he's like yeah yeah do that do that and so then they had to like so then they did the scene of him coming out with on his face and of course they had to figure out a way to wipe it off but he said yeah. that was just one of those things where we were just we were just trying to have fun we were trying to make it as fun of a movie as possible and i was like that is fantastic because i thought that was something that was in the original script that was like a bit that that was well thought of and it's like no just something came up on the spot so uh, which again adds to his character you know his yeah. characterization it's like mm-hmm. you he is like this guy that he just he doesn't realize everything that's going on <laughs> <Yeah>. around him. <laughs> he's not as he's not as self aware as you think you would be. No, yeah. no, not so yeah. savvy sometimes. <laughs> so, but you did take my favorite scene. My my favorite scene oh, is the no, it's, that's okay. My favorite scene is the wheelchair scene with him falling in the back. And once again, that's probably another <laughs> iconic scene. Oh, um, and him trying to, which uh, which I thought was cool that they I was reading that they did not. He did not fall backwards like that scene was. It was level. It was all about how they uh, angled the camera. Nice. So he was actually being pulled by a pulley, and they angled the camera to make it like he was going downhill uh, to pull him pull him through. So I thought that probably was really a lot cool. safe for that. One. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's one of those things where, like, after that, whenever I'd see a wheelchair, I'd be like, "Ooh, let me not be near a hill because if I go backwards, I'll never be able to stop myself." That's one of my favorite scenes, and even that scene that leads up to that with them getting out of the the wheelchairs and Jack just back goes make one move. And he does one move. And Jack is like completely. <laughs> yeah. He just like, like tosses him back. So like he was nothing. I love, I love how he jumps on again and he's like, yeah. all right, let's try this again. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, but, oh, uh, man. so yes, I love it. So, the, I mean, a lot of the, you know, the lines were great. You know, the comedy is what uh, I love. Uh, one of my favorite, and it's not even a line, but it still makes me laugh is when, uh, Jack is is hitting on Gracie at the airport. Yeah, he looks back mm-hmm. at Wang Chi, and she gives him look like, "How's it going?" And he gives him like, "I got this. I got this handled." And as then as Gracie's leaving, <laughs> he turns and faces the old lady, and you see his face change like really fast. And then you see Chi start laughing. I was like, "That is a great bit. That is a you know great comedy bit that they just played really well." So uh, I thought that was fantastic. So it is. It's a really good bit. Yeah. <laughs> Oh man. Let, well, let's hit a little bit of trivia. We may think about some other scenes as we're going through this, but uh I I realized this today as I was as as the movie started, and I don't know why I never thought about this before, because the one thing about this movie is is Jack Burton's voice and how he talks. And I was like, man, it's so iconic. And today I was like, you know what? It's not that iconic. He's just trying to sound like John Wayne. And then I John found Wayne, out that yeah. that's exactly what he was doing. He based Jack Burton on John Wayne and Jack Nicholson. He tried to kind of combine those two 
together. Uh, but also found out in Escape from New York, he was basing Snake Pilsen on Clint Eastwood. Yeah, yeah. Snake Pliskin was definitely uh, like the man with no name. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it, you, and that's you can tell straight yeah. up. So I think Kurt Russell like really excels when he has like someone to base some things off mm-hmm. of. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's definitely in his wheelhouse. And mm-hmm. it's just like you think about this one, Escape from LA, uh, New York, you know, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it's just. It, those are iconic roles and when you, you think about like how he played it it's like well that makes sense and i i yeah i mean just whenever he has to base something on someone else i think he really knocks it out of the park because mm-hmm. um, in some of his other ones you know like used cars or whatever i mean they're not really they're, yeah. i mean they're you know you don't remember them but these mm-hmm. ones you remember and yeah. so I, I i think he did a fantastic job there yeah yeah i agree I agree. And I thought that was funny about the, the Clint Eastwood, you know, there's the line, the egg, when he hands him the, the oh, yeah. them, he said, here, <laughs> use this, make you feel like Dirty Harry. And, you know, that was a nice little nod to him basing or because they wanted Clint Eastwood for the role originally. And yeah. then uh, that he bases his character. So, and I, and I think about talking Kurt Russell, one of my favorite Kurt Russell movies, and it's not well beloved by a lot of people, but I, it's, it's underrated classic for me. Best of times with him and Robin Williams is one of my favorite football movies. Have you ever seen it? I don't think I've ever seen that one. Yeah, I think look it up. And I actually tell you, and anybody else listening too. So if you go to Voodoo, which is now co-owned with Fandango, Mm -hmm. it's like a you know you buy you can buy movies. They have free movies. If you can stream it there with commercials, but I remember going to see that in like a little dollar theater with my family. But it's uh, it's so funny, and it's such a it's a sports movie. So basically, like Kurt Russell and Robin Williams were like high school friends on a football team, high school football team. And Robin Williams, and his name is Jack in this movie, he's uh-huh. obsessed because in like this big playoff game against their rival, Kurt Russell threw him the ball and he dropped it in the end zone. Oh, so no. now it's like 20 years later and he's still haunted by he did, was not able to catch the ball. Oh, no. So he decides that he's going to get the team back together and they're going to play against the, the team they played 20 years ago. And it's just, it's so funny. But like Kurt Cameron is in it as like Kurt Russell's son. Uh, who else is in it? There's wow, uh, I don't recall yeah. this at all. Yeah, I'm like, okay, it, I'll have it to was go- it was not a hit movie. Like it made like zero money, and most people think it's like one of the worst movies ever made. But I love it. <laughs> it's one of my, I, I will watch it every year around this time, like before you know football season gets starts kicking off. So so check it gotcha. out. The, be- the best of times. All Kurt right. Russell underrated performance. So I'll check it out for sure. His, and all of his Kurt Russellness. So that was one of the bombs that he decided he was thinking, maybe I shouldn't be in this movie for Big Trouble Little China. Cause I think, it <laughs> out, I think it came out in 85. So it was a little before this one. So right. <laughs> Back to our trivia. Uh, so the brides of Lopan must have, must have green eyes yet. Kim Cattrall and Susie Pye, who played uh, Ming Lee, both have brown eyes. They wore green contacts for the movie. Uh, this is very obvious in the high definition version, which I noticed watching the Blu-ray today. I was like, their eyes don't look as green as I remembered. So something mm-hmm. in how they translated the the colors for the high definition didn't didn't get the green as clean as it was back in the back in the good old days. Oh, I gotcha. <laughs> so I know you mentioned used cars earlier. One of Kurt Russell's first movie roles in the scene where Kurt Russell's attempting to infiltrate the brothel, he's wearing the same outfit that he wore in Used Cars. Wow. <laughs> which I, i've yeah. never seen used cars either so <clears throat> i've only seen bits and pieces of it so yeah. I, I don't even really remember it. and that was like 
years ago. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so last little bit of trivia, and then we'll start wrapping this thing up. The ending right. song is written and sung by the Coupe de Villes, a band formed by yeah. John Carpenter, Nick Castle, and Tommy Lee Wallace, who was the second unit director on the movie. So that just we talked about John Carpenter being such a great musician. I, I think that's that's one that definitely sets him apart as a director to know that he will direct a movie write a movie, direct a movie, and then go back and post-production and write the score for a movie. <laughs> yeah. It's like crazy ridiculous, crazy talented. So Well, and uh, isn't Nick Castle, wasn't he the, uh, I mean, he was the shape, wasn't he? He played Michael Yeah, Myers. originally, yep, yeah. exactly. Mm-hmm. So, and I think he was, in the interview I was watching with him today, he was saying that, you know, he made a comment, he's like, oh yeah, and, and the guys in my band did the song. He said, well, actually it wasn't my band. He said, we were just a band of guys that I was in film school with. So, he, nice. So that, that's kind of how, <laughs> how he recognizes them. I remember when the credits rolled and the song came in as I was as a kid. I was like, "They actually made a song called Big Trouble in Little China.' Wow, and, you know, and it's a pretty fun song, actually. Oh, yeah, it is Big it is. Trouble. Mm-hmm. So wasn't Little a China. Yeah, wasn't a radio <laughs> like, hit, but it was still still a fun one. So. No, it's definitely a fun song. <laughs> uh, All right, let's move on to box office and critical reception. Unless you got any other scenes you want to talk about? Um. Anything stick out? I mean, I I like when uh, Egg Shen is just telling him all the stuff, you know, or they're they're going underground. He's talking about, you know, oh yeah, uh, you know, Lopan and all that, and then he's he's like, you know, Black Blood of the Earth. He's like, you mean oil? He's like, no, I mean Black Blood of the Earth. <laughs> <laughs> that always made me laugh. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, just I liked so, learning some of that, uh, I, you know, that mythological kind of mysticism thing. Mm-hmm. It was just, you know, it was just it was fun and. I, I just enjoyed it. It was exposition without it being like bogged down with too yeah. much, I think. Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, which you mentioned earlier, it was just, you know, it was like they just kind of peppered it in just right. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, I, I did always like that part. And then, uh, of course, after they drink the potion and they're all just like, I feel pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. me too. <laughs> kind of invincible. Yeah. And which is he, which he uses on Gracie when they're in the elevator. He was like, yeah, take the stuff before we started. I can see things, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he does indeed use an honor. Yep. I can do things, uh, do things yeah. other people can't do or something. Right. 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 <laughs> yep. So that was yeah, great. I like that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, I love the movie as a whole. It's, it's mm-hmm. this is one of those that it's so hard to like pick favorites because the whole thing just from, from beginning to end is mm-hmm. so fun. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. All right. Well, let's talk about box office critical reception. So John Carpenter and Kurt Russell explain on the audio commentary that the test screenings were so overwhelmingly positive that both of them expected it to be a big hit. However, 20th century Fox put little into promoting the movie and it ended up being a box office bomb. In addition, the film was released in the midst of the hype for aliens, which Mm. was released 16 days afterwards. However, it went on to be a huge cult hit through home video. Carpenter and Russell explained that the reason the studio did little to promote the film was because they simply didn't know how to promote it. I, I, I get, because I mean, like, how do you market this? Yeah. Uh, oh, especially yeah, yeah. back in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you could play up the martial arts, but yeah. without like a big name draw, which was like huge back then. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. mean, I, I don't I don't know how you would, you know? Yeah. Um, I mean, even nowadays, you still have like a, a huge name to kind of draw people in. But I think yeah. uh, even more so back then, it was like you had your Schwarzeneggers, you mm-hmm. had your Stallone. Yeah, you know? exactly. Like, like you needed this big for action movies needed like this big name to mm-hmm. you know this main character that's awesome and this is kind of like the opposite of that you know <laughs> i mean yeah people knew who kurt russell was because by this time he'd had like you know a, a 
couple of years, couple of decades uh, career. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like he, he wasn't like an action star. No. no. Uh, so, I mean, I get it and, and why they would have problems with it. But it's kind of a shame because I think it could have been like a huge hit for mm-hmm. them, mm-hmm. even though later on it was like a big cult hit. Yeah, you know, exactly. It did really well, like yeah. on home video release. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's just that's one of those like, uh, like mm-hmm. what could have been, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Because even I, I went back and watched like the original movie trailer and I was like, yeah, they didn't do a good job of even explaining what the movie was about. They, they didn't know they didn't know how to describe it. They showed great yeah. scenes from the movie, but it's out of context and without yeah. knowing kind of what what's happening. I wish it would have had I wish it would have had the kind of promotion like we talked about with Gremlins, where you don't show too much like, <laughs> you know, we're going to tell you a story about Chinese mysticism and, you know, you're going to see, you know, kind of let them know what they're going to kind of get into, but show more of the first part of the movie. That's the action without all the, the mysticism and mm-hmm. let that be a surprise. I think that would have, you know, that would, that would have worked better, but you know, that was a perfect world. <laughs> and you're right. I think that that's actually the smartest way to go is to kind of show like maybe some of the Kung Fu fights just real quick, or just, mm-hmm. even if you just want to focus on some of Jack Burton's, you know, bravado, you know, right, kind of a right. thing. I think that, you know, sell it as like a, like a fun comedy with just a bit of action or something. Mm-hmm. I, I think that would have been the right way to go. Just, you know, kind of hide what it's really all about. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, just like plant a little seed here and there. Right. And then, right. Yeah. And I say test audiences loved it because they didn't know what they were seeing. They were, they hadn't seen a trailer. So they were just, they were following the story with fresh, you know, you know, no preconceived notion or no expect, no expectations of what they're going to see. They're just, they're seeing it fresh. So but yeah, so it opened in a thousand theaters on July second, nineteen eighty six. Wow. It grossed two point seven million its opening weekend. It came in number twelve. Uh, it was the last of all the new releases for that weekend. Uh, it went on to gross eleven point one million in North America, well below its estimated budget of nineteen to twenty five million dollars. So, yeah, so it was not a big big hit, but we still love it. So. Mm-hmm. Um, so Rotten Tomatoes has it at 75% on the tomato meter with an 82% audience score. IMDb has it at 7.3 out of 10 with a 53 on Metacritic. So uh, I think we're both going to agree that all of these are too low for this movie. <laughs> I completely agree. It should be much, much higher. <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, this it's is, just, it's yeah. just fun. Although, I mean, I, I get... I get the Rotten Tomatoes one because, you know, that's just a, like out of 100 people, you know, mm-hmm. what 75% will like it. I get that. I mean, I know some people, uh, my wife included, that probably wouldn't <laughs> probably wouldn't enjoy it. So right, I guess that kind of right. makes sense. But as far as like quality, I mean, this this needs to be like an A plus. This mm-hmm. needs to be, you know, right up there. I mean, it's just it's so good. So funny. So well done. And I think the only downside to it is maybe the effects weren't as good as they could have been. I know yeah. uh, John Carpenter kind of had uh, um, kind of had a little issue with some yeah. of the, the, yeah. the effects. He wasn't company. happy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but other than that, I mean, I, I think in general, it just it plays so well and it's mm-hmm. so funny. Yeah. And so fun. And so, I mean, cool. Like there's mm-hmm. just legit cool scenes, you know, where they're fighting. So I don't know. I I I definitely, I definitely think that those scores are way too low. Yeah. Yeah. I think <laughs> accepting it for what are seeing it for what it is, that it doesn't take itself too seriously. It is a comedy. It is fantasy. So mm-hmm. just kind of get lost in it, just in, enjoy the ride. And I think that's, you know, that's, that's what I love about it. And so, you know, some, especially then mm-hmm. the, the critics were, uh, 
uh, definitely much more uh, favorable to more artic, quote unquote artistic expressions than just a good feel yeah. good popcorn flick, which we said that, you know, this is that Saturday afternoon, you know, summertime or wintertime, yeah. just hanging with your, your, your friends and watching something in that aspect. It's, it's, um, it's like a perfect movie for me. It'd be a, I can't really think of anything that I don't like about it. Even some of the effects I thought held up pretty well. Are you kidding? Uh, lightning's lightning's whole, mm-hmm. everything about him is just yeah. like perfect. I mean, uh, especially as a kid watching it, but even now I just watched it, you know, we just watched it a couple hours ago and mm-hmm. I, I still thought the lightning looked very well done. Yeah. Uh, I mean, everything, especially like his whole movements, um, it, he, created that and they you could tell they really matched it to mm-hmm. all his motions and yeah, movements yeah. and and i thought it was just just amazingly well done with mm-hmm. that so I, I i agree that they, it holds up it really holds up yeah it's so right. cool yeah. <laughs> all right, sorry so we, i know i keep saying that but no, you're good. i just i can't emphasize how how cool <laughs> this movie is like go watch this movie guys right, it's amazing right, right. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so so we won't talk much about sequels because there hasn't been one, but there has been talk of a reboot for several years. And Dwayne The Rock Johnson has been in talks to uh, be in, an, in, in a reboot. And it, it it was big news a couple of years ago. And people were like, do not do this. You know, don't mm-hmm. touch Big Trouble in Little China. And yeah. I like The Rock. I think I think him and Kurt Russell, especially this version of Kurt Russell, share some of that same, you know, swagger yeah. and charisma and just that you know love to see him on screen but he just recently did an interview the rock did and talking about upcoming projects like hey is it still going to happen and he said they're still working on it and i think originally he wanted john carpenter involved <laughs> but john carpenter said i want nothing to do with rebooting I, this at all which i think uh, is a smart move on yeah. carpenter's part so but i think the last news and this could be breaking news for those listening to the podcast is that Ooh. it's not going to be a reboot that Dwayne Johnson's trying to get it to be more of like a like they did with Jumanji, where it's paying homage homage to the original, but kind of telling a new story. So seeing it that way, I'm like, I could see that. If you're not going to try to don't try to recreate what was there, but yeah. if you can take the elements that made it fun and made it enjoyable, and kind of put it in today's context, and you know, do something fresh and exciting with it, it could work. And maybe that's why it hasn't they haven't done it yet because they haven't found a way to make that work yet. So, and you know, the Dwayne Johnson doesn't make too many bad movies, especially, I mean, you know, they may not be the best acted movies or they they may not make no sense or be the most logical, but they're still (laughs) fun and entertaining. And that's, you know, looking at you skyscraper. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Uh, Which which my wife and I love. We, I know I do too. It's, it's a fun, it's just a dumb fun movie, but it really, it really doesn't make sense at all. Um, But I know exactly what you mean. And, and I think if they, if they go that route, I think you're mm-hmm. exactly right. I think you hit the nail on the head there. They, they need to go that Jumanji route. If they try to remake it, fans will revolt. Mm-hmm. If they try to continue it, I think mm-hmm. fans will revolt. But if it's if it's like a quasi continuation, mm-hmm. I think it, it would just play so much better. Like maybe, um, I mean, I don't even know how. <laughs> I'm not going to pitch anything here. No, I, I was either. thinking about it, but no, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Um, but I, I know there's got to be a way to, to keep it going and still capture that spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, and if they can get Kurt Russell involved in any way, exactly. Just like any, yeah. Little small plus, cameo something. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. 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 That would be definitely cool, a so. plus, but I, I mean, I would love to see the rock in, in a, you know, some sort of quasi, mm-hmm. you know, continuation of it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. 
All right, man. Well, let's wrap this thing up. We've 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 spent a lot of time talking about this movie for good reason because it's so much fun. <laughs> it but is thank, so much fun. <laughs> thank you so much, Jerry, for being a part. So uh, most people most people that listen to the podcast know about Totally Rad Christmas, but Yay. give us a little bit of insight of what you got going on with your episodes coming up. Sure. Okay. So uh, yeah, Totally Rad Christmas, the podcast that talks to all things Christmas in the eighties. You know. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can find us, of course, anywhere that you get your podcasts. Uh, and we're on, you know, Facebook and Instagram at, at Totally Rad Christmas and Twitter at Rad Christmas. Now, coming up, I, I do have some good things, uh, and and I'm very excited. I, I just released my Raddies yes. episode that I I've been working that. on. That was a lot of fun. That was a lot of work. I could tell. It was a lot of work. Yeah, I I've been kind of burned out. It, it took me about a month, and so I kind of slowed down on on my yeah. regular episodes because I was just working on this one so much. And now yeah. that I'm done, I'm kind of burned out on my regular episodes. <laughs> uh, but let's see, coming up on a on a more subtle, quieter note, uh, <laughs> I actually am coming out with uh, a, the joy of painting and Bob Ross. We did an episode oh, on that. Oh, nice. So that's that's uh, you know kind of funny. We're uh, we're doing a whole food trends of the eight with uh, oh, nice. uh glenn warren from seasons eating so that one was fun uh the simpsons uh okay. the very first episode we got that oh one. yeah um, the one that's kind of out there is uh kenny and dolly a christmas to remember so oh, it's actually based favorite so it's actually based on their album that they yes. came out with yes. uh, but it, it it's an odd special that it i is. loved i it loved is. it so much but yeah. it is odd yeah uh twas the night before christmas first blood i just recorded um, oh man so, because that's another one that I completely forgot was like yeah. a, a, a Christmas, Christmas movie. movie. Yeah, Christmas. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And then after that, I mean, so a lot of fun stuff coming up. Uh, I'm doing a sequel to New Kids on the Block one. OK, uh, then let's see. I'm talking Fleetwood Mac and Stevie Nicks and her version of um, of Silent Night. So and then uh, Cheers, Satin Ball Ornaments. Uh, I'm doing a bonus episode on Stranger Things because it's quasi. Oh, yeah, 80s, so, yeah, so, so yeah. you know, bonus. Um, but yeah, and then just like strawberry shortcake and stuff like that. So <laughs> some some fun, it's some well fun little stuff. Uh, oh, my favorite one that I think coming up is all about Pizza Hut. Where we're going to be talking about some of the '80s Pizza Hut commercials, and then just oh, like, oh, nice, how awesome it was to just go to Pizza Hut you know? <laughs> back yeah. in the day. You know, <laughs> yes, that was. I wouldn't say it's, it was fine dining, but it was that was the family place to go. You know, to take the family to Pizza Hut. So yep, yep. Yeah, Dom uh, would be proud. The, ju- the the jukebox and the Pac-Man. Uh, that was the first place that I remember seeing the uh, the arcade where you sat down was like a table. Yeah, and you had same two here. People across from each other. Those are good episodes. I'm for Kenny and Dolly. I'm definitely listening to. I mean, I listen to all of them, but Kenny and Dolly, I'm going to listen to and Pizza Hut for sure. So, but yeah, Kenny and Dolly. That 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 that's a that's dear to my heart. That was my mom's favorite. Nice. You know, Christmas specials. But I'm like you. I have the album. I've listened to the album for years. And I tried to find this TV special online and I think I finally found it like a year ago yeah. and I watched it. I was like, yeah, this did not hold up. Very well. <laughs> <laughs> it's really weird, but I, I really liked it. There's like a charm to it. And yeah, you know, exactly. Uh, I mean, just it's, it's Kenny special. and Dolly. You can't, yeah, you, you exactly. can't, you can't be exactly. mad at Kenny and Dolly. You so. can't No, you have to enjoy it because they're so good at what they do. Really? Exactly. Yeah. So. They're islands in the stream. So, <laughs> Oh, I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks Jerry for being a part. Uh, and thanks everybody thanks. for listening. Yeah. Go ahead. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah man. I, I really, I had a lot of fun. It was hey. so good. For sure. Got to have you back on. Yeah, man. It's Looks always, like... it's always fun talking with you. Always, always. Well, I'll have you back again. 
go back and check out our Kremlins episode from uh, last season and Lethal Weapon episode on Totally Rad Christmas. <laughs> right, we've had a lot of fun on this one. Thanks, Jerry. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we'll see you guys next time. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we have a few ways for you to do just that. One way is to send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message through the Anchor app. You can find the link to leave a voice message in our episode show notes. Another way to reach us is through our social media pages. Search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, be sure to give us a five-star rating along with a stellar written review. And don't forget to follow us on Apple and Spotify as well. No matter which podcasting platform you're listening to us on, be sure to read the episode show notes to find more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Well, that's all for now. Join us again next time for another 80s Flick Flashback. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.